Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 329 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. Man, we need each other in times like these, don't we? And I'm so glad that you tuned in today. I know you got a million things going on. Um, Today, my guest is Joseph Sojourner, who I'll introduce in a moment. And today's episode is brought to you by Promedia Fire, who's got some amazing free resources for you in this time of crisis. I also am going to change up all the what I'm thinking about segments toward the end of the podcast. I know a lot of you have enjoyed those, but we are going to talk about crisis management. Also, just so you know, Uh, My team and I are working nonstop every day on providing you with the best resources we can in crisis leadership. I'll be starting another podcast soon, uh, tell you more about that, and then I'll be bringing you the latest here, and we're working on some online things. The headquarters for that is just my website, kerryneuhoff.com. Just trying to come alongside you guys in unprecedented times. And I think what makes uh, this time so different is not only, obviously, do we have a virus and a lot of people losing their lives in a health crisis, but it's everything. It's the economic collapse, it's the closing of borders, it's the political bailouts, the economic uncertainty, it's the social isolation, it's quarantine, it's a loss of freedom, it's no longer being able to meet in our buildings, in our offices, in our churches. It's basically, yeah, the complete upending of life as we have known it our entire lifetime. And I think that's what's making crisis leadership so challenging, so difficult for us personally as leaders and obviously uh, difficult for those that we lead as well. So uh, obviously on this podcast, we record interviews well in advance. And uh, I think you're going to find these conversations really, really helpful. Uh, But we will continue to (laughs) produce crisis resources to help you through this unprecedented time. And uh, hit me up on social too. I'm Kerry Newhoff on Instagram. I read all the messages there. I'm on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, as C. Newhoff over there and uh, would love to connect with you. And of course, the best place is if you sign up for the email subscription at kerryneuhoff.com. I'm in your inbox pretty much every day and uh, we read every message that comes in and we're just trying to get behind you in a time of crisis. So uh, another organization that really wants to help is ProMedia Fire. The world is in the midst of this global panic and pandemic and the church has an opportunity though to reach out with hope and love digitally. So I'm really happy to share that from now until Easter, the ProMedia Fire team has come together to help churches spread peace and hope in these uncertain times. Every day, the ProMedia Fire team will provide free social media graphics, videos, and strategies to reach people during the season. I mean, even those of you who maybe weren't that online before, guess what? You're online now. ProMedia Fire. ProMedia Fire wants to help. So if you want free social media graphics, videos, and strategies to reach people during this season uh, and provide a little bit of hope, uh, they would love to help you. So to get those free resources for the next three weeks, join the movement by signing up at greatnews.world. Simple as that. Go to greatnews.world. Your friends at ProMedia Fire are coming alongside you, and I'm so grateful for their partnership. We're also producing uh, free resources on my platform as well. So whatever we can do together, uh, we are in to that. And ProMediaFire, thank you so much for 
being one of those organizations that just wants to come alongside leaders. Well, Joseph Sojourner has been a friend for a number of years, and we talk about some things that are really important as things go more and more digital every day. Uh, Sojo and I had a conversation long before this crisis, and you'll be quite clear, this interview was filmed long before things changed. But, um, you know, we talked about sexually charged direct messages on Instagram, something that I kind of found out about last year. It's like, seriously, this stuff actually happens? And yeah, it happens. And it happens in some really interesting places. Sojo planted a church. He's been featured on NBC Your Move and really done a lot of innovative in community ministry. And as our church buildings have been closed, uh, you're probably going to pick up some extra tips from him on this one that you're like, huh, never thought about it that way. Uh, He's also really, really good at social, really good at branding. And uh, yeah, he does uh, hip hop. So kind of just like me, as we always joke when we're together. Plus, he talks about his narcolepsy, something uh, that is really interesting. So it's going to be a fascinating, a broad ranging interview. And without much further ado, here is my conversation with Joseph Sojourner. Joseph, welcome to the podcast. Or so, Glad Joe, to be what here. do you what do you prefer to be called? Because we've <laughs> it, known each other for years, and everyone asks me that question. Uh, uh-huh. They say Joe, Joseph, or Sojo, and I say I don't notice. My whole childhood, it was Joe or Joseph, and then I got to North Point, and uh, my name was too long to fit on the screen, and so they uh-huh. ended up just saying, "Can we shorten it to just Sojo?" And I was like, "Cool, I didn't care." I was like, "Let's go." And I remember they put it, and it was huge, and everybody was like, and "By the end of the conference, everyone was like, Sojo, Sojo." And it stuck ever since. So when my mom comes down and visits me, she's like, why is everyone calling you Sojo? I said, mom, I didn't choose it. It just happened. So <laughs> I think when we met years ago, I was introduced to you as Sojo. Oh, yeah. Most people call yeah. me Sojo for sure. Cool. Well, that's fun. And it's funny. Why didn't I was thinking about that? Why didn't they do Joso? I don't know. It Everybody asked me that cool, too, though. but it's, I, don't, I don't know if no. I love. Because Sojo is the shorthand of Sojourner. So I'm like, I get that. Joso, I guess, is a merger of the two uh, names. Doing too uh, much. You're just doing too much at that point. Okay, anyway. So <laughs> that answers the first question, which was yeah. the most important. Really, the, the reason I had you on the podcast. A lot of people are going to be put at ease to that. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, the reason I have you on the podcast is you've got a really cool story and a really good mix. So we have known each other for a long time. And I feel like every time we get together, we hang out, I learn yeah. about something else you're doing. And a little bit of a polymath that way, you know, so you got an eclectic mix of gift and talents. You're a communicator, like you'll keynote at conferences and events. You're an event host, which is an entirely different skill set. I don't have the hosting skill set. I can host a podcast, but not an event. say you don't. Never say that. You never know. But you got to be zany and goofy and, you know, shoot people out of water cannons and stuff like that. You're the (laughs) owner and creative director, like an entrepreneur. And Mm -hmm. so you have a creative services company called Two Cents. Two Sins Creative Thinkers. Mm-hmm. Yep. And what do you do? Uh, so that? I oversee uh, the development of all the creatives that we work with. And then usually the campaign creations for whatever it may be from conferences to working with churches. Um, yeah, whatever it is. A lot of times that that big picture, uh, the message, connecting a message to the people and then connecting people to purpose. That's usually what I'm passionate about. And then I start mm-hmm. fading out. I can't say I'm half as good as a lot of the people. That oh yeah, but well, me. wait a minute. But you, you 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 edited this out of your biography. You're also a recording artist, right? You yeah. did hip hop. Yeah, you got three albums. That's what launched. That's what started me. So I can't even really. That, that was journey. it. That was your first love was music. That was my first love, and I, I always tell people, I'm like, that's where the love of words came from. The appreciation, mm-hmm. I should say, the words uh, came from hip hop, and so um, yeah, started Akron, Ohio, forty shows. 
And those shows somehow landed me in Atlanta and then uh, started kind of doing it from there and ended up uh, realizing that uh, when the music stops, there's still something more God wanted me to say. So let's so go. So you're Akron as well. How did I not know that? Akron, Ohio, home of LeBron oh, wow. James. LeBron James and Sojo. <laughs> That's it. You could debate which one is doing more work in the world. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to say probably LeBron. <laughs> probably LeBron. Anyway, so it started. What year was that, your first album? His first album was probably 2003. I mean, it, well, no, no, it was probably 2005, six. That's where it was. Uh, okay. Uh, Mission yeah. Movement Music is what it was called. Mission know? Movement Music. And Mission then your last one was music. three years ago, four years ago in 2016. Yeah. Very different albums. Please don't search the, for the first one. Don't don't try and look up the first one. <laughs> that is not what I want to. We have erased that from the internet, did we? <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I, hope, it's I think gone. I got it off. Uh, Am I falling or falling? Was the last one though. That's like what Mark Batterson says about his first book. It's like uh, I think I've deleted the last vestiges I mean, of it. Right? <laughs> I, I don't think anybody will be able to find it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and you also have like a clothing line and uh, yeah, you and you're, you're also. Going. Super as you're recent. Going, you're creating. Am I creating? I said, as you're going, you're creating. Oh, so, as yeah. you're going, you're creating. I'm like, <laughs> no, I've seen the clothes. They're pretty cool. And I always, I always respect people with style. I want to uh, go back a little bit. Uh, you and I have spent a lot of time together on the road at events together in green rooms and cars and, you know, all that stuff, dinners. Uh, one of the things I learned about you that I found intriguing is you have battled actual diagnosed narcolepsy. <laughs> And it's funny because we joked about that, remember? Yeah. And like, I have the incredible gift of being able to fall asleep almost anywhere, anytime. Yeah. Uh, but that is like actually a medical condition. You met you. your match with me. I can beat you. I, I think you, you win. You win. So you yes. 100% win. Uh, second uh, grade, after every lunch, I was falling asleep, kept getting put on detention. And they finally took me to the doctor. And he said, this, this kid has narcolepsy through the roof. I go into REM in two minutes and 30 seconds. So no um, yeah, and so it makes travel a bit tricky because uh, when I'm driving, I had a camp in Panama City Beach, and it was five hours, and I had to pull over and take three naps on the road, and that's just the way it works because uh, I would say the worst situations for me are going to be in cars or any type of in planes, trains, automobiles. I would say that's where I fall asleep the easiest, and I think it's just because of the hum. Uh, in fact, uh, two years ago, I got invited to do my first and only singles cruise, and I was speaking to the singles on that cruise. And, you know, as soon as you put your feet down on a, on the boat, it has that, mm, that hum. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Those three days, I could not get over the gorilla. I call it the gorilla on my back. That's what it feels uh -huh. like some days. I mean, I, I literally would get up, go do the talk for 30 minutes. As I'm trying to speak, I'm trying to stay focused because I just want to get back in bed. And I would just I just slept all three of those days. I tell people, I thought I would love a cruise until I realized it's everything I need to just sleep. So, uh, but yeah. I just have to always be mindful of it. I mean, you know, a lot of leaders, dyslexia is very common in mm -hmm. leaders, ADD, uh, OCD, very common in people who go on to be entrepreneurs. I mean, you can study this stuff, uh, but most of us are trying to overcome something. I'm not officially diagnosed, but I'm pretty sure I'm ADD and potentially <laughs> certainly a little bit obsessive, <laughs> if not compulsive. Um, yep. But I'm curious, uh, like, so this is not related to, oh, I had a really good night's sleep. It's not going to affect me. Is a little bit cause and effect or like, I no, wish just like, yeah, I, I will. I mean, the, so there's a new drug they have out. That's uh, unfortunately it's the date rape drug. And so they, they give it to us and it knocks us out for a good eight hours and it. And then we come to the next morning, but being a single guy, 
Uh, the doctor was like, I don't think it's wise for you because if something happens, a fire breaks out in your house. He's like, you are. Oh, under. you're gone. Uh, Nobody. Yeah, because essentially right, right. you go you go right into REM and then you flutter sleep for the rest of the night. And so we don't we don't really get good sleep. No matter if we go to sleep, sleep early. It's just it's just a light sleep. Like if you okay. if you crack my door open, I'd immediately look up and say, hey, oh. who is it? So um, untreated. But you, unless you mm-hmm, yeah. unless you catch me in that first 20 now, that first 20 I'm under. I mean, I am deep in sleep. And then I come out usually about 40 minutes. And then I kind of for the rest of the night, I'm kind of in and out. So you don't really get good sleep ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, that that that's one. And then there's some medicines. Uh, uh, just take a pill and, and it kind of brings it used to take Ritalin when I was a kid. So Ritalin to a narcoleptic does opposite to what uh, ADD. And so it takes us up and brings them down. So. Uh, but that wasn't great for the heart, so they've adjusted it now. Now it's as simple as just a, a medicine in the morning, and that wow. gets you going through the day. And that pretty much keeps you going. Here we are, late afternoon, recording yeah. this when I feel narcoleptic anyway. <laughs> Most days, I'm like, I'm ready for a nap. As long as uh, I don't eat a burger at lunch, I'm good. <laughs> exactly. How has that impacted? And I, I say that, I mean, it's just amazing to me. 300 and some odd interviews in, how many leaders struggle with some kind of condition? Uh, yeah. or, or, you know, uh, uh, not exact. I don't think there's anybody on this podcast who's kind of born with a silver spoon in their mouth, maybe one or two, but you know, had to overcome extreme poverty or a tough childhood situation or whatever. How has that condition impacted your leadership or has it really? I mean, I think it, it, it forces you to rest. So it's yeah. hard for me to overwork because I do think my body just won't let me overwork. Um, and then, you know, I, you know how a lot of communicators, you're kind of isolated before your message and then you come alive after you give it. Then you're like, okay, now I can be social. Uh, So I crash after a message. It's just, I don't know what it's just, yeah, I come down hard. So I think when I show up to places, I have to, I have to make sure I study early because when I get to the building, I know I want to try to meet people, hang out with as many people as possible because I'm unfortunately just not quite as social after uh, I give a message. So I'm always conscious to say, have these conversations, hang out with people. And people are always like, do you want to get away? And I say, I'll get away, you know, uh, X amount of time before, but I really have to maximize it because afterwards, I mean, I'm, I'm gone, which is probably good because, you know, uh, when you were on your rap days, it was after the show was the after party. Right. So for me, I was like, I can't, I can't do the after party. Oh, I got to go to, I got to go back to my hotel. <laughs> it's interesting. You have to work with limits, right? You and do. my burnout all those years ago, I've just learned I am not a robot. You can't just wind nope. me up and keep me going all day long. So to get really granular, we were in Phoenix a couple of weeks ago and I was keynoting, which yep. was, I think, a lot easier than your job. They put me on twice for 40 minutes and, you know, you were hosting along with Andrew Stanley and yeah. that was like a two or three day commitment where you're on and then you're off. Then you're on, yep. you're in the green room, then you're on again, up again, got to keep engagement up, keep the event going. How how do you manage your energy on a day like that? Red Bull. <laughs> I love the honesty. And to that be is honest, they, they keep it in the fridge for me. So they got the Red blueberry Bull. Red Bulls and because right in that afternoon spot. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I will say it's it is making sure I get sleep and I'll duck away and get a 15 minute nap. I really will. Yeah. In between those sessions, I'll be like, let me just quickly get 10, 15. And once I got that, I'm good. I mean, no, it's so funny. And I'm talking about managing energy because I think it's important. I've got an event uh, in a couple of weeks and it's a long flight in to the southern U.S. and then an hour and a half drive. So I actually got a car to take me because I know it's going to be late. And then I have a 7 a.m. breakfast and something like an 8 a.m. consult and then 11 a.m. 
And then I've got an evening event. Well, you know, Ugh. again, I'm not a rap, you know, a robot. So I just had my team make sure I was in the hotel so that I could go back to the hotel in the afternoon and just kind of yep. check into what's happening in the world, maybe grab a half hour nap, that kind yep. of thing. And I never used to do that before I burned out. So I'm very interested. And this is why if there's anything else you want to share about managing a condition like that, I think leaders, like every time I've met you, you're so fresh and alive, you'd never know. But you're really managing a lot of stuff behind the scenes to make sure that you stay strong. Yeah. And I think I think just knowing I, I can feel when I'm kind of coming down and and being wise enough to catch it before it's too late. Because uh, really, the first way you could tell I'm getting sleepy is I get irritable, and so mm. I always tell people it's not really sleep that I'm trying to make sure I don't uh, that I'm trying to fight against. It's the fact that I can get snappy with people, and once I'm irritated, it's like I'm usually tired. And so I think I really do strive to be like, let me just slip away. And like I said, I really. I got the 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 sleep apps, you know. I'm saying the little calm oh, yeah, app. Yeah, yeah me so too. You can set those timers, and and I got them. I put my ear ear AirPods in and just uh, slip away and get 26 minutes is the one I use a lot. So that's it. 26 <laughs> minutes. Is there 26 a magic to that? Does it just work for you? They say it's the ideal time, but it's this. What's just uh, wonderful? It has cool nature sounds, and then it wakes me up with birds chirping. I said, "Come on, app." That's pretty cool. <laughs> you know, Daniel Pink would agree. His last book was called When. He was on the show about a year ago. And uh, we'll link to that in the show notes. But he was arguing that the perfect nap is, I think his time was 23 minutes. But there is yeah. something to that. Like, whatever yep. works for you works for you. Yeah. But, you know, that 20 to 30 minute window can Group. be great. And great. Uh, talks about the nappuccino. So you have a cappuccino <laughs> before your nap. And then it takes 21 minutes for the caffeine to kick in. And then when you wake up, you're like doubly alert. That's so funny. I, I feel like I innately learned that over the years. I oftentimes <laughs> will, will drink a coffee or drink a Red Bull and then immediately take the nap. And then I come back double strong to make it all the way through the evening. <laughs> true. That is a true statement. Dr. Well, Daniel, is, good job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No kidding. But this is this is what I love talking about because everybody sees the public you know, face and they don't realize what goes on behind the scenes to make sure that, no, I'm working really hard to be there for people. So... You and I, when we were hanging out, we had a really fascinating conversation. And just in the last six months, I've had a yeah. number of them with single people in their 30s. My wife has a couple of friends mm-hmm. uh, in the U.S. who are in their 30s who are single. And they started telling, they were up to visit us this summer at our home. And they started telling me about all the inappropriate messages they get on Instagram from guys who are creeping them and, you know, hey, I'm your, I'm your guy, etc. And so we were talking about just trying to, you know, have your integrity on the road. And you mentioned yeah. just out of the blue, Hey, I get really inappropriate messages as a single guy oh, yeah. on Instagram. Can you, now that is not my experience. I, I get trolls, you know, <laughs> I'm like, yeah. I said to Tony, I think my wife, I said, I think our marriage is pretty safe. I never get those messages. So I'm very <laughs> thankful for that, that that's one fight I don't need to, uh, to battle. Yeah. But do you want to talk about that? Because I think that's a world, first of all, that a lot of people listening can relate to. Like, oh my gosh, an Instagram, I just never even thought of it as that kind of environment. And then and then, how do you battle that as a single guy, you know, eligible bachelor? Yeah, I think that this generation is is definitely one that values social media because it's their way of connecting with you for the rest of the week. To them, the concept of Sunday and then I don't hear from you for the rest of the week. It's just foreign. They're like, why, why would I only hear from you once? So 
you're you're automatically saying, okay, I, I'm going to try my best to manage this well. So I always say there's three buckets. There's there's people who genuinely want to connect with you on on whatever platform you're on. There's people who uh, are gauging you to determine if they can do no good. So my, there are a lot of ones you get that are just gauging. And then there are people that are just very direct in in trying to pull you in a direction you don't know you know you don't need to be or a mischievous behavior. And so uh, you're trying your best to not ignore people. You know that's what mm. you don't, you don't want to just be like I'm not, if, if they DM I'm not gonna. Uh, but I do think the first thing I do is I share my account password so that I always have accountability. I'm like I know. I think when you share it and you know that there are team members that can sign in, you immediately know. Okay, I I think it's just an extra guardrail. I feel like it's just a guardrail yeah. there. Uh, so that you just know this, I can be checked on at any moment. Uh, and then the second thing is I do think I treat uh, people gauging uh, the same way I do with people who are direct. Cause I do think when you're gauging and saying, Hey, um, can we hang out tonight? Uh, come through here or what, which hotel are you staying at? Uh, There's some great ones in the area. Uh, I'd love to show you. I think you always just know that's just too risky um, because there are a lot of people that are, are aiming to see, Hey, you're a guy. You're yeah. human. You can't, I mean, sure, you, you have great sermons and you're great with words, but you're still a guy. And so I think that for me, I have to be realistic and know I'm not Superman. And there are, there are days I don't even sign online at all and I don't do social media and I'd rather just, I'd rather just stay away. But it really just requires self-awareness and, uh, and, not even, and not even playing where you know it could get dangerous. And so, yeah, but I, I do think you just have to be mindful in those DMs. There are, there are, uh, I'm trying not to make sure I don't say anything that uh, there is. There's definitely people uh, who um, who are courting, trying to court you into into geez, married people that are approaching you saying, I wish we can hang out uh, and they'll start opening yeah. up about their husbands and 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 why you're so different and how they just feel this deep connection with you. And every time you speak, you just make them feel this way. And, and I've had people try to drive to my house and and find me. I once did videos um, in a room, just kind of talking to share my thoughts and, and some ladies knew based on the layout of the hotel room, which hotel I was in. Oh and they goodness. started, uh, coming to the, to the lobby saying, uh, we're here. Just want to hang out with you. Can you come down and see us and which room are you in? And so yeah, you get mindful of all those things. Um, I was at Disney world and, yeah. and <laughs> started doing some talks and some, and some girls tracked me down, uh, and, and found me there. And then, um, and then started trying to flirt and do some things and, and I'm thinking, weren't y'all at the conference I was at where I was teaching? Like it's a bit uh, crazy. So did you, did you just you have not to know how the to content navigate. of my message? Like this is not what <laughs> like, I'm into. I mean, hello. See, this is like this is a guy in his fifties. He's yeah. very happily married. This is a whole other world to me. And I think <laughs> as as I've sort of you know had a few conversations with friends, I'm realizing oh that your experience is not isolated and. Mm-hmm. It got to the point where, you know, my wife's friends were saying, we can't even post live where we are anymore. No, I don't. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what, and it's, and it's, it, it, it really does. It's unfortunate. I'm like, I really, there are moments I can get away with it if I'm in, if I'm in a place where I know it, it's hard to distinguish where exactly I'm at. But if I'm in some place where uh, I really do value privacy or I just know it would not be a great place to hang out with anyone because it could be taken out of context. Yeah, it's very true. I don't that I oftentimes is, won't do live. I'll do like a day or two after. That is just, yeah, that's, that's just news to me, man. And I, I got to say dark land, you know, no, it's a it dark is. land that, that no one, there is no, there's not a book yet on, on how to handle ministry and social media. Uh, a lot of people have feelings and they're like, social media is blah, blah. But I'm like, there really hasn't been people who've slowed down yet and say, Hey, 
okay, so let's talk about it and start finding practical uh, um, uh, methods to make sure that men are protected, women are women are protected, and that and that the people that we're trusting can can be trusted and and when they can trust their followers. I think it's it's beautiful to have people that want to hear from you and want to connect with you. You just have to be careful. Mm. No, and and I mean, yeah, I think maybe we should write chapter one right now. So let's go. What I'd love to know. What do you do as someone who doesn't want to get into an inappropriate relationship? Yeah. What What do you do to set up those boundaries? I mean, I think, um, geez, I would say, like I said, the first thing is if it, if it's in my inbox, I just will not. It, I can be polite and be like, hey, I can help you here. And then the minute that conversation turns, that conversation is dead. I just will not reply. So you basically ghost them. It's not. I will you ghost them. And, and that. And I, and at first, when I first started, I said, man, I feel bad to do that. I remember the first time I ever did it. And I was used about seven, eight years ago. I remember feeling horrible. Then I said, no, you, you have to do this for you. Like if you're going to make this and how longevity, like you have to just know, Hey, that's my rule. And if you want to turn that way, you'll understand based on my silence where, what my answer is. So, uh, that's the first thing face to face is always a bit more difficult, but, uh, I've just learned you, you can be as polite as possible until someone is belligerent. And I think once they get that way, it's your responsibility to be extremely clear and let them know, hey, I'm very uncomfortable uh, with what you're saying or the way I'm feeling right now. It seems as if, and I've said, it seems as if you're courting me to try to figure out if, if you could be, if we could be physical. And if that's true, that is not something that I'm interested in at all. And so sometimes you have to be that clear and just to make sure. And of course people immediately backstep and they'll say, Oh, that's not what I was. I'm that's so not sorry. What I meant. But yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they'll immediately yeah. course correct. So, and then uh, you can say, oh, okay, sorry. I just want to make sure. So it's, it's, I've learned that you can be polite on the back end if you're, if you're very clear up front. And so, yeah, I've just learned not to give, not to give it any play. The minute I begin to give it play is the minute they're like, okay, there's room to go ahead and, and, and pounce. Yeah. Well, I, I really appreciate you talking about that because I haven't actually even heard a public conversation about that. Yeah. And when, when I talk to you, I'm like, would you be comfortable talking about that on the podcast? And you're like, dude, yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. Because if it's happening to you and a handful of other people I know, it's got to be happening to thousands of people who are listening. And often by the time it becomes a story, you think, oh, it was completely unilateral on that person's part. And then you realize, and, and often, you know, honestly, sometimes it is. People have predatory yeah. behavior, et cetera. I think what shocked me, or, you know, they abused their power, et cetera, et cetera. And there's no excuse for that. But what surprised me is just the level of innuendo and flirt, flirting that happens online and yeah. on mainline platforms. This isn't like I was on some, you know, dark chat room somewhere on the dark web and, you know, found this person who was interested in something, you know, this is like, right. no, we're talking Instagram. Yeah, we're, Instagram. We're, we're talking, I, I'm supposed Facebook as well for whoever's mm -hmm. still on Facebook, right? Yeah, there's or people, on, there's people sliding that, those two. And I probably mm -hmm. should add one more. I will say there yeah, are moments yeah. I pass off and, and you, you got to know uh, because there are sometimes people are hurting and they're just acting out of that wound. And I think right. immediately when that happens, I'll say, hey, I, I want to connect you with someone else or I want to connect you with a friend of mine and she'd be awesome to help you out with this issue. Right. This isn't for me to help you with. And I think that's probably, being honest, that's probably the number one uh, method that I use when I'm talking to somebody. I can vouch for the shared password. I mean, my wife has, she doesn't use it a lot, but I mean, her face ID works on my phone and, you know, she's got all my passwords and honestly, so does my team. And they yeah. are actually in my direct messages on a daily basis and mm -hmm. do a lot of the responding for me. 
uh, on Instagram, it tends to be me, but other times they're posting content on my behalf and they see the whole thing. And I find that incredibly liberating. I do too. Yeah. And I, and I'll tell them, I'll say, Hey, you know, even though I end up replying to most all the DMs, I tell them at any point you guys can check my DMs. And just to know that I don't know when they're going to check and they'll just check and read through them. And they'll always say, Hey, I saw you, what you commented to this person. Just know when they say that, I'm like, they're in my DMs. They're checking what I'm saying. They're checking those conversations. So it does keep you accountable. I'm not asking for names, but who are the people who have access to your passwords? Just like friends, accountability yep. partners? Yeah. Okay. So I've got a small group. And so I said, one of the small group guys has access to it. And then also uh, two of my team members that I work alongside. Which is plenty. Not everybody oh, yeah. needs to have access to that, right? No, not everybody. I can't so. have people posting on the grid now. I can't, <laughs> can't have everybody. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And by the way, if it has my name attached to it, you'll know it actually came from me as opposed to someone on my team. Just Come if on. you're wondering, it's like, was I that love really that. You? Yeah. If it says my name, it was, it was me. Chances are. Okay. Well, that was, that was anything else on that. I just think that's a really important issue that I'm just kind of unearthing personally. Maybe I'm 20 years behind everybody else, but it's not something I hear leaders talk about. And it makes a lot of sense out of the sadness that we see you know, you should, um, we should, we should circle back around and, and, and make an episode with some of the single, uh, single young communicators and some of the married. Uh, cause I mean, I think there's a, there's a, it's such a wide story as far as, um, sometimes you feel like the, you feel like the person who's always looked at, like, why aren't you married yet? You constantly get that. Um, and so I feel like there is, there is a journey of just feeling like, okay, what, what do I feel comfortable speaking on? What don't I feel comfortable speaking on? Because you always are feeling like there's a, I think the church can make you feel broken when you're single. And uh, I find it liberating to help single people realize that God can do something with them in this single phase of life that he could not do in a married phase of life. And so there's no reason to, to duck. There's no reason to be ashamed. There's no reason to say, oh, gosh, I'm not married yet, but but uh, hopefully I'll find a girl within it. I'm always like, you'll see them kind of scrambling to come up with the right answer because they feel like they're being judged immediately. And I'll say, listen, if that's where you are in life, then, then say, I'm not married, uh, but I have the opportunity to do this, this, and this, and I'm sure that God's sending a, a lady my way one day. So, uh, But I, I definitely went through a lot of phases of just feeling like, man, when I say that, I'm going to be judged, and people are going to think that, oh, gosh, I bet he's out here mishandling his platform and so you just are always paranoid and so mm. uh it's taken a long journey of a lot of great men to, to to make me realize like hey god is using you in this chapter and mm. own it and be proud of it so yeah that's what no, I and that, that holds a lot of theological weight too i mean you look at singleness versus married and uh, i got married relatively young 25 but i think singleness can be a calling I'm not saying yeah. it has to be but i, totally. I see it as a a potential calling. Anything else on social? Uh, I think one of the things that I hear a lot is, and if you follow me on Instagram, where I'm probably most active personally these days, uh, you will see that this is not my problem. But because <laughs> I do a lot of raw, poorly filmed posts with typos in them. Yeah. Um, so I, I do a lot of that. But the the pressure to be polished and the pressure to mm. be professional. I mean, yeah. Do you want to speak into that for a minute, Sojo? Yeah, I mean, it's it's... There is, there's always the balance of, uh, I want people to see something that's helpful and that, that they can be inspired by, but then you can look up and look at a grid and you can say, but that's not me. Uh, and I don't think it's maliciously done. I just think your aim was to show people something beautiful and awesome. And so, uh, when, when you, when you don't pay attention to saying, Hey, I want to be as transparent and honest as possible, uh, because I do think Gen Z 
really is expecting that. I think they want the thinnest veil yeah. between your public persona and your real life person. And so I do mm-hmm. think it, it's our responsibility to continue to say they're not interested in seeing us look perfect. They're interested more into the process over the product. And so I really do think the more I walk with the Gen Z, they're like, I don't care about the product. I don't care what you have to say. I care about the process. And so the process qualifies the product, honestly. And so once mm. they believe in your process and what it's all about and what got you to the product, then they support your product. And so I think the more you realize that, the more you realize people who will 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 really have a lot of strikes against social media and say, you shouldn't be sharing that. I'll say, no, no, you're looking at a generation that really you're qualified through how honest you are. And then they can believe the honesty behind your words. And so they just grade us differently. My generation, it was like, the pastor, I only saw him on Sundays and the mystery actually, it was awesome. Like I thought that was great, mm. but this generation you're penalized if you're mysterious and you're, they're always looking like, what are you hiding? And so you really are playing this game. And it's for those people who are not comfortable with social media, not telling you, you have to do it. But I think that if you can do it, I really do think you'll be able to speak to a whole new generation. Yeah. And, he, and, and that was one of the questions I had for you is you spend a lot of time working with Gen Z. And yeah. with young leaders, you're a millennial, right? Yep, millennial. Um, okay, so uh, and twenty somethings. So, what's connecting with the next generation? You just sort of listed one of the things, and and what isn't? Yeah, I really, I, I would say the uh, the more you think about it, uh, the more they'll feel that. Um, and so, a lot of people are processing and, and overthinking things. And I'm like, I think that they want less thought and they just want you to be you. And that does not mean that our teaching should be any less than. It just means that <laughs> as we're as we're trying to plot, you know, what is the next cool trend or how can I uh, how can I duplicate this video? And they're like, well, we could tell that you just copied this person or you're copying Ellen or you're copying whoever it may be to try to make it relevant to us. Uh, this is truly a generation that just says, if you just were you. That's all we really want. And we'll take you uh, as much as you want, but we won't want you trying to be something you're not. And so I think authenticity, I think we already knew that millennials were, were all about authenticity, but I do think Gen Z is all about saying um, Kanye to us is is qualified to have more respect than most pastors because we understand his process. And so I can't stress enough to, in their eyes, the process qualifies the product and so it has really shown me that you could be really busting your behind to make sure you're making all the right decisions. But if they don't see that and you're not willing to say, hey, it's difficult every day I wake up or sometimes I'm, you know, falling asleep in green rooms or I'm not happy when I walk off stage and give a talk and I know that I could have done better. Those are the things that then they're like, OK, that is a person that I'm willing to trust. They're willing to be honest about mm. not what did one young person say. You're giving me all the you're giving me all the light. But what about the dark side? And I feel like that's a comment I've never forgotten. They're like, if you're going to give us the light, then you have to be honest enough to talk about the dark as well. And I think my generation didn't always hear the dark. We just heard the light. And so I think we're willing to say, I struggle. I have flaws too. And so the more you're willing to be honest about those um, in, a, in a mindful way, then I think the more they'll be able to uh, understand you. What is, you know, when you think about what to share and what not to share, yeah. Uh, and I realize it's kind of gray, but where in your view is the line between appropriate and inappropriate vulnerability? I think that, oh, I feel like there is definitely the mainstream things that we're all like, okay, you know, uh, you with your boxers on uh, twerking in a video is probably not going to be the best video <laughs> to put out there. 
<laughs> we we all have a couple of things we're like, ah, that I think you be, pull uh, that one down. <laughs> for sure. You know. For sure. Um, but I, I do think it's difficult because what's what I won't do, someone else will do. Like and mm. and I don't do tons of selfie videos. I'm like, that's just not my style, but other people really do them well. And uh, I don't share every moment of my day, but I've really seen some young communicators that do that really well and are able to somehow craft daily stories that that have really good endings and and really good messages within them. And so um, I think you just have to be mindful of saying, uh, is what I'm saying offending anyone, uh, making somebody feel less than? Because I do think for uh, mm. for a group of friends, it's easy to start joking and say jokes that you might think are funny, but the more and more you travel, the more and more you see many stories. And I just think I have had my eyes open to, geez, it's just changed how I process humor. It's, it's changed uh, really how I process people. And so I do think I can oftentimes see young people start posting stuff that I'm like, you could just tell they haven't got out their bubble. But so it's unfortunate. What would be an example of that? Like appropriate versus inappropriate based on travel or exposure. Are you talking uh, about racial anytime, stuff anytime, or are you talking about? Yeah, definitely racial stereotypes. Okay. Um, I definitely think uh, when people are commenting on situations, hot topics or uh, scandals, uh, you can oftentimes see how much they're familiar with other people's stories because they'll just immediately start condemning. And, uh, you know, everybody keeps quoting that Kanye. Christians will be the first to make me feel like I'm unloved in that mm -hmm. new album. But the reality is there's a lot of Christians that sit in that bubble. So the minute we start talking, I think the people outside of our bubble can say, you could just tell they don't interact with people who aren't like them. And so it's unfortunate when you hear people kind of going off online uh, on all the issues of the world and you realize like you're just saying that because you don't, you, you could tell you're uncomfortable with things that aren't familiar and maybe you should just walk with people that make you more uncomfortable more often so you can learn how to love them more appropriately. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I want to go back to your uh, sort of uh, wide ranging career, which is just so interesting to me. You're so good at so many different things. Yeah. What have been some of the hardest challenges you've faced on that journey? Like, oh. was there a moment where you were like, okay, this is it. I give up. Yes. Uh, that was, that was a probably, I had a year mark each, each year uh, where I would probably have that in the last like six years. I would say these last two years have been the first years. I'm like, I finally found me. Um, mm. I live in these world. I live in these really big worlds where it's easy to echo uh, the great minds. I'm saturated with wisdom. I mean, the leaders around me are outstanding, and so you could end up echoing for your whole life, just echoing your whole career of oh, wow. all that you're hearing around you. And I think, um, I think I had to really stop and say, uh, you've echoed for the last five years, and you need to quiet yourself and figure out what God is whispering in your soul so that you can determine what it is that you're supposed to say. And maybe it won't be something that this world echoes, I think was the greatest fear I had. And so it was, wow. what if I say something this, that the world I'm in doesn't want to echo and honestly doesn't even want to repeat and doesn't want to even uh, acknowledge. Um, and I feel like the fear was, will I be disqualified? Uh, what I have uh, a lot of what I've done taken away, stripped away, uh, and then you kind of push past and you realize, uh, the more and more of your friends say, uh, and you know, the fireside conversations like me or you or something, they're like, I need this Joe. Like, why does this Joe not come out more? And I'm like, man, I'm always worried. And they're like, no. And then the more you open up, the more you realize like a lot of it's fear placed inside. Now don't get me wrong. Sometimes I'll say something and you'll feel it in a room and it'll be like, we're not trying to talk about this and we don't appreciate that you brought it up, but I'll still know this is something that meant 
something to me and it was a felt need for me to voice. And so, uh, yeah, I've got That's much really interesting, you know, because I do think social has created a bigger echo chamber than ever where we're all oh, yeah. attempting to imitate. If I can ask you how old, cause you've been on some huge stages yeah. as a young adult, like, and then yep. we're talking like 30,000 people, 10,000 people, 8,000 people on a fairly regular basis yep. with some legends in the field. Mm-hmm. How old were you when you got on stages that big? Like your Gosh, first time? I was, my first time was probably 30. I'm 37 now. So it was 30 years old when I first was able to step on a stage uh, and begin to lead. So yeah. yeah, I mean, I did, I'd step on stage for rap before that, but I would say when the music off, being able to actually But that was your stage, right? In yeah, your 20s. Yeah, totally. That was yeah, your absolutely. stage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well put. Yeah, it's perfectly said. And then yep. you stay, and listen, the majority of people listening to this are young leaders who are on someone else's stage. Yep. And, you know, a few that are carving out their own. But uh, I imagine that that would put, because I've always kind of been on my own stage. And I imagine being on someone else's stage puts a pressure on you oh. to, imp- like, can we just talk about that for a minute? Well, it, it dashes back to the top of this convo when you said you're a communicator and an MC slash host. And so yeah. as a host, my job is to represent um, whatever it is that you brought me into. So right. at times it can it can bleed over and I'll say, what does what does this uh conference want me to say and then i'll say oh you're in host mode you're actually here to communicate and so there was that that dynamic already where i was like as a host you're you're booked and hired to make sure you deliver their heart and their message to this crowd but as a communicator you're booked and hired to make sure you say what god told you and so i had to really learn how to how to make sure i could distinguish those two um but then yes when you're standing on these stages and you're behind people that say everything so well because <laughs> mm. I'm 31 and I'm behind, you know, gentlemen that are, are 50 and ladies that have been doing this for a long time. And they've just honed everything in perfect, clean bottom lines. And you're like, wow, I got to go after that. Um, it was easy to just kind of repackage it and say it in a, in a slightly different way. And just say the safest road is to know what works and, and versus taking <laughs> the risk. And so it really just took this uh, journey and be saying, are you willing to fail uh, saying what you believe uh, in your heart or the thoughts that you have in your head? And maybe they won't be as clean. I can't act like I can I can be Andy Stanley or Louis Giglio or T.D. Jake, Stephen Furtick. But I think along this journey, I've realized that God has ignited a fire in me to speak to people who are like me with similar stories. So. How did that, that, when you, when you sort of turned that corner and got to that aha, where you said, okay, maybe I'm just going to do my own message. Cause I I don't think there's a single communicator who hasn't been tempted to not plagiaristically, but just like, you know, repackage or mimic someone that you really respect. But when you made that little pivot in your mind, which is a big pivot, I should say, uh, how did that change your internal dialogue? It, like it the, happened. The, the message you sent to yourself. Mm-hmm. It happened when uh, when I hit a burnout, uh, very similar, I guess, to or maybe <laughs> not similar, but I burned out. I was going for two years strong, no vacations, no days off, and I end up on a counselor's couch, and uh, I'm just a mess. And I'm like, I don't even know who I am anymore. And everything she asked me, I had a perfectly packaged answer. And she said, <laughs> I can tell you've been standing on these stages because you're hidden behind all these perfect answers. And she just 
beat me up uh, for about a year straight and just said, we're going to get back to Joe. Uh, and so she was able to finally strip that away and say, you're scared of you're scared of yourself because you don't feel like you're qualified or you don't feel like you deserve uh, to stand on these stages. And so I think me going on that journey and realizing um, God sometimes will take uh, the, the last shepherd and make him the king. Uh, and so I can't think of myself as a king, obviously, but I definitely think you've been given an opportunity to lead people. And so I say, hey, I don't understand why I was chosen, but I do understand that it's my responsibility to own uh, this opportunity but also be humble, humble enough to know I don't deserve it. And so those are my two things that I, I walk through. But in that journey, I'm like owning it requires me saying I'm here for a purpose. God wants to say something through me. And uh, obviously I'm going to continue to listen. And I think there are things people say that I'm like, gosh, that speaks to my soul. Why? And I think it's my responsibility to do the homework and really do the work. And sometimes a simple sentence somebody says can turn into a whole sermon uh, once God begins to awaken it in my heart. So I've just really learned that it's a blend of both. It's listening to the world around you and then interpreting it through what God is saying to you. And so, and obviously what the Bible reveals. So I've really learned how to, how to embrace it. What did burnout look like for you? Oh my gosh. It was, uh, I said the first phase was anger. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. I think I blamed I was like, everyone was pushing me down these roads and I didn't want to, you know, be blah, 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 blah. And, and they're seeing me some well, as a way I don't want to be seen. Um, so that was the first phase. The second phase was uh, fear. And I think I, I found myself saying, I don't know, I don't know who I am anymore. And mm. um, I just want to quit. And I just really got to that place where I said, it'd be easier to just quit this whole thing because there's too many eyes and, I don't want to ever fail and fall from this height. Um, and then the last was that focus. And I do feel like you you make the decision to say it's worth it. And the people that are choosing to believe in you um, because they believe that God is alive in you are, are right. worth the fight. And so I think once I really got that in my head, I said, okay, this is going to be your story. And you're kind of one of the first people I've talked to about that because I really haven't shared my burnout um, just because a lot of people want me to bring the light and the joy and the fun uh, to events. <laughs> And so a lot of people don't ask. I mean, no one really asks, hey, what are your darkest moments? I was like, well, it wasn't that long ago. But um, but I would say four years ago is really where it started. And thankfully today, I've never been more at peace and balance. But it really just was due to a lack of balance. Um, I was just going, going, going. Lack of community wasn't really in a small group anymore. I was just reading my Bible, but I'm wired to want community. We're all wired to want community. And so I think not having people to bring the word alive to me uh, through their eyes just was I was on a downward slope, slope, slope until finally I crashed and it was a hard, I always tell people I was on stage while well, I was headed to the stage. Remember I collapsed. I was crying backstage uh, wow. and they were saying, you have two minutes to go on. So Joe, two minutes. And I was just trying to gather myself and I said, God, can you, can you help me pull it together? And I was able to pull it together and give that message. But when I walked off stage, I realized I said, okay, this is, this has gotten bad. I need some. And it was just, I was just that tired. And I just was like, I don't, I think the hardest thought, and this is me being really transparent, the hardest thought was I remember looking out there and I say, I want to feel this crowd, but I can't feel them. I can't feel anything. I was just numb. Mm. And it, it's not that I didn't care about them. I wanted to care about them. I just didn't even know how to feel anymore. I was just that burnt out where I said, I am, I love them, but I don't know what to do anymore. I'm just too tired. And I think that's when I realized I don't want to be this guy standing on a stage. Thank you for sharing that. 
uh, it's a, it's an epidemic. And there's a lot of people listening right now who are like, oh yeah. I, and I remember seasons like that, even before my burnout, where I couldn't feel anything anymore. I was numb, where yeah. I thought, I don't know how I can do this. How long was your recovery and what was key to it? Uh, I would say key to it was an incredible small group of guys. Um, mm. I think uh, finding that community again, um, you know, when you're a single guy and you're traveling and you get to hotel rooms, I mean, everyone, I would say crowds of people walk out one way and then you walk out by yourself out the backstage entrance and, and oftentimes drive to your hotel and walk to a quiet room. And just a simple, just a simple um, small group guy calling me and saying, hey, how did it go tonight? And I actually had someone to talk to uh, in my room and kind of um, and kind of express right. all those I always call my wife first call. Yeah. Well, uh, all my friends are like, mm-hmm. oh, I just call my wife. So I'm go back. I got to call my wife. Mm-hmm. And I'm just yep. thinking like, Fair. so the fact that my guys know that now they'll they'll immediately call and, and they'll say, you know, oh, it's this and they'll share their day with me. And just that interaction makes the road a lot less lonely. You're right, because you want to share it with somebody. Oh, yeah. And you need you need to share it with someone that you've got history with who understands you and who can go, oh, I'm sure it wasn't as bad as you think. Or, exactly. Oh, wow. Well, yep. maybe you're just tired. Yep. <laughs> you know, or, or man, you went on that hike in Colorado and you're like, I have no one to share this. I can't tell anyone. And then they're like, tell me about it. And you're like, okay. And so for me, that stuff matters a lot. Uh, and then it just required me uh, being consistent and, and being open in, in, in saying, okay, leaders are people, uh, preachers are people, so to say. And, yeah. and they at times need to stop and ask for help as well. And if, and it was just not done growing up. I mean, um, I think a lot of times where I come from, you don't air out your dirty laundry to anyone. I mean, it's family business. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I think the idea of a therapist or a counselor, I was like, what? That's not. Uh, <laughs> but when when you have nothing else and you sit down and you start uh, having that conversation, you realize what in the world? Why didn't I? Now I'm one of the biggest advocates. I mean, when I go into inner cities, I'm like, y'all got to open up and talk to somebody about this because the more you're trying to hold in, like it's just too much for anyone to bear. So. Is that an inner city thing where it is. where nobody talks about what's real? Yeah, I mean, I think it's just that mindset of if they know your weakness, they know how to hurt you, and so it really just is jungle mentality, survival mindset. So, uh, yeah, you're just taught to be like hide it, hide your hide your weakness so that you can always appear strong, and therefore you'll be safe, safe as possible. Wow. So, that, yeah. yeah, this is so good. How are your rhythms and disciplines different in the last four years since you've come back from burnout? Uh, so I have learned the importance of, of quiet and silence, mm-hmm. uh, uh, a quiet start to my day. I'm naturally one that just pops up and gets to running. Um, Enneagram seven uh, for all my sevens oh, yeah. out there. So it's always another adventure ahead. Uh, and I can always try to make things up. Uh, perfect picture perfect and have fun but i've just learned that i'm like hey you need you need to take that time and it is hard for me to have a daily rhythm uh it is something that i constantly ask friends to hold me accountable to and they'll say hey did you do this hey did you do this hey did you do this and so i i really have just learned that i'm like there are going to be seasons where it's easier and there's seasons where it's tougher but i just have to be honest enough to know um yeah, do you got to stay in that word and you got to wake up and you got to have that quiet time for me it really is a lot of times putting some music on reading a few uh, chapters and then saying, okay, I'm just going to sit and wait, which is not easy to do. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes I got to plug the phone up in the living room and just leave it out there. Cause I'm like, I feel like I've been waking up, checking my phone a lot. So last, last week I literally just had my phone in the living room the whole week and, and wouldn't even pick it up until noon. Now, some people didn't love that when they were texting me, but 
But you got to know. You just have to know. I mean, when you got to reconnect with God and you're like, I have to silence this technology because there's not a lot in the scriptures that directly address how to handle cell, cell phones, you know, you have to kind of, you have to really figure out those, those uh, guardrails yourself. So it's interesting. You say valuing silence. That's something I could not do before mm-hmm. I burned out. Uh, silence made me highly uncomfortable. So this is a personal question. Yep. Um, similar journey, different journey. I crave silence now. Oh. And maybe after a day I'd be like, okay, I'm ready for some noise or people or whatever. But mm-hmm. I am. And I, I, and I, and I look at that. I was not very comfortable with myself. And, you know, on the other side, you kind of, you know, Jacob wrestles the angel and you walk with a limp, but you're different on the other side. Any, any thoughts or reflections on why you are comfortable with silence now and you weren't perhaps as comfortable before? Oh man, I feel like it's just what you said. I mean, I think you don't even understand the depths of burnout. Uh, it, it robs you of belief in yourself. And so I think when I was silent, I was like, what am I being silent for? I don't think there's much I have left to say. And so uh, mm. I think when God restores that intimacy, um, silence with him is just beautiful. I feel like the the ideas I get now, um, the yes. thoughts I'm able to ponder on, but I really just feel like it's because I'm like when, when you're when you're moving from an overflow and sitting in silence and he's like, now nah, I'm going to awaken you to all that you are in me and what I have to say through you. It's just a totally different experience. So a lot of times people say I, I'm silent, but I can't hear anything. I'll say, OK, um, are, you, are you tired? OK, well, let's, let's start adjusting some of your diet things around that, because I think the more full you feel, the more silence begins to be uh, loud, I guess. So to say, I guess that, that sounds poetic, but uh Silence begins to feel more loud the more aligned you get with Jesus and you start saying, oh, he's talking to me. And when I get silent, I'm telling you, I always walk away with the peace, but also just filled with creativity and and new ideas and fresh energy to run towards them. So, yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's I'm not sitting down to get breakthrough ideas, but I can point to this past week just sitting in silence. I've been off the road. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is the problem. And, you know, you, you have those insights that yep. I think are a gift that silence brings you that noise doesn't. Doesn't. Um, did you adjust your diet or your sleep or anything else in the last few years? I, I would say I have adjusted my road diet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> a few less burgers. At first, you're like, nobody's watching me and I can get what I want. <laughs> Desserts every meal. <laughs> Uh, my mom was a baker. She made the monster that we see today. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's part narcolepsy though. I mean, now I have to just be mindful because energy I have, I always wake up with a full schedule. So it's like, if you want to make it yeah. through this day, you better eat that salad. Okay. Otherwise you're coming down hard. So, uh, I have adjusted the diet a lot. Um, yeah, I feel like my, uh, mental, physical, spiritual, all of those three things you have to take seriously when you're trying to be, yeah. as you would say, a high capacity leader a highly impactful leader. I really think that's where you're like, you have to take those three buckets seriously. It doesn't surprise me that you're seven. I was going to guess that you're a five because every time I meet you, you know, and meet you, I mean, we met years ago, but every time I hang out with you, I feel like, oh my gosh, how did I not know this about him? And it's just like, (laughs) there's so many layers, so many good layers, and it just gets more delightful in every conversation. And I'm just really glad that so many leaders got to overhear this one. Um, anything else you want to share with us before we wrap up? No, I mean, I, I just want to say to, uh, I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, thanks for having me on. And to any, anyone who's on this journey, uh, especially to the young storytellers out there 
who might be like, I'm not sure if I have a place in the church. Uh, we are on a beautiful frontier with technology being awakened in the church and storytelling and videos and graphic design. And there are so many ways to communicate, not just the story of Jesus, but the beauty of Jesus and the mystery of Jesus. And so I just call all of them who are listening. I, maybe you're a secretary right now. Maybe you're working in another field right now, but you've had an idea to paint something. The church needs it. We want it. Uh, and and what you what you take the time to do can truly impact and change someone else's life. So that's that's my call to you. Love y'all, and thanks for letting me uh, adventure with y'all day in and day out. So Joe, people are going to want to connect with you online. What's the easiest place to do that? Uh, appropriate in the most appropriate the way. Most they're going to want to connect way. with you online. What is, what is, uh, you should be able to connect everything through josephsojourner.com. Um, yeah, my all my social media is there. Everything you need, josephsojourner.com. And that's me. Awesome. Awesome. So, Joe, thanks, man. You're the best. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. If you want more, of course, we've got everything for you in the show notes. So you can head on over to kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 329. And we've got everything there for you. Also, uh, wow, we got some upcoming episodes. So in the What I'm Thinking About segment, I want to talk to you about the stages of digital church today. So stay tuned for that. In the meantime, Cheryl Brady is up next. And she doesn't talk about this crisis. Again, a lot of our interviews, we were months in advance. Um, But she talks about a personal crisis she went through. And uh, it's very similar, actually, to a lot of the emotions the leaders I talk to are feeling right now. And here's a small excerpt from the next episode coming up on March 26th. I've walked people through grief. Mm-hmm. I've prayed for them. I've buried their loved ones. I've done all of that. But it was not until I went through grief myself that I realize now what people really need. They don't just need our words. Mm. They need our heart. Sometimes they just need our ear. Mm. And they need our honesty. Cheryl's got a huge international following. You're going to really enjoy that. And she's just totally transparent about a time where she felt she really couldn't lead. We've also got Gary Thomas, Mark Miller, Bobby Herrera, Tim Keller, Michael Todd, Ryan Hawk. Uh, I really enjoyed that interview with Ryan. We've got Nir Al, Danielle Strickland, John Eldridge, and so many more. Plus, we're going to be recording these uh, intros and extras well, pretty much in real time to keep you up to date on the latest. So thanks again to Pro Media Fire, um, who are producing some free resources for churches prior to Easter. If you want free social media graphics, videos, and strategies, head on over to greatnews.world. They got you covered. They'll help you get online, and they're going to do it absolutely free. So I want to share with you, uh, just in the What I'm Thinking About segment as we close today, just some thoughts around the four stages of digital church. And uh, I mean, this is obviously capturing a moment in time, but what was really interesting is, you know, stage one was kind of the holdout. We're going to meet no matter what, which is I'm not exactly sure that's where you want to be as the church, the last one standing when there's a public health crisis. But some churches tried to be that. Others got ahead of the curve and said, you know what, out of an abundance of caution and sensitivity and trying to love our neighbors, we're going to close down early. I think that was the right move. So, you know, but stage one was, oh, wow, what if we can't meet in our building? Stage two is, okay, we'll get back into our building with a small team and we'll film a whole bunch of sermons, messages, band, episodes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Almost like when the NBA was, you know, that one or two games of soccer or basketball or whatever, when they were playing to empty stadiums, it's like, okay, we're going to do that because at least we have our building, we have a small crew. And then of course, 
the self-isolating measures and the restrictions on gatherings took that out of the picture. And then stage three is, okay, I guess I'm doing everything from home and we're leading remote teams. I'm doing a message on my sofa or in my kitchen or in my office. And at first, you know, stage three was, okay, we, we're going to have a production crew in. Um, but again, as I'm recording that, that's probably fading. And now we're moving into stage four, which is, all right, I guess it's me and my iPhone. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and the band, there's no band. It's like a worship leader playing an acoustic guitar and we'll stream that from his house or her house. And you know what? I just want to say that's okay. That's okay. If you look at what a lot of artists are doing, there are a ton of bands who have just said, okay, we're off tour. Uh, welcome to my house. What do you want me to play? And I think this is an unprecedented opportunity. Stage five, I don't really know what's going to happen. Um, I think what'll probably happen is we experiment an awful lot. There's daily prayer services happening. There's different channels that leaders are going into. And uh, I'm getting text messages almost every day. It's like, well, how much production do I need? And you know, what about lights and microphones? I think a microphone's really important. Um, if people can't hear you, then it's not very good if it's really echoey. But you know what? Honestly, your phone's probably enough. And I was messaging a leader last night who leads a large, like high production church. And she was just asking, you know, I'm just worried the quality won't be good enough. And my message back to her was, I don't think they want to see the quality. I think they want to see your heart. And that is where I want to leave you. I think this next phase is people just want to see you and people are longing for connection and they want real. They don't need polish. They don't need hype. They don't need, they just need you and they need to see that you understand and that you can bring hope and they need to see that you care and that you want to be committed to them and you want to help them. And if you just do that through your iPhone, I mean, obviously try to get half decent lighting and, and some sound that people can hear. But don't worry about all that other stuff we left behind. Uh, there's a new church emerging. There's a new moment emerging. And I think you just want to experiment and see what's really connecting with people. We'll have a lot more on that as we go on this podcast. But I want to thank you so much for listening today. I want you to know that daily I'm praying for you. Uh, whether you're a business leader and your business has shut down or whether you're a church leader and you can't meet in your building, uh, I have lots of resources on... Um, Leading Remote Teams, uh, the new digital church over at kerryneuhoff.com. And as you hear this, we will be doing, well, our best via iPhone to record a brand new course on crisis leadership. So we're going to bring that all together for you, hopefully in a, in a form that you can use for your team. So we're in this together. Thank you so much. You are the most amazing group of leaders. I can imagine having the privilege of serving uh, I'm praying for you. I'm with you. And I hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.